Welcome to the Positive Pastor Podcast. My name is Pastor Eric, and uh, I'm excited that you're joining us here today. Uh, today, we're continuing our series on After God's Own Heart, a series on the life of King David. Today, we're talking about worshiping in his presence. You know, in my studies this week, I came across a, um, a quote uh, in his book, Experience God in Worship, uh, Christian author George Barna said that the main reason millions of people in America go to church every week is not to worship God, but instead to have a pleasing experience. He goes on to say that most Americans go to church to satisfy or please themselves, not to honor or please God. Amazingly, Few of the people that Barnard's research team interviewed said that worship is something that they do primarily for God. Instead, a much larger percentage of those who attend worship services on a regular basis claim that they do so for personal benefit and pleasure. This is something that has got to change. We must forget about ourselves and concentrate on Him. We must be the, we, he must be the primary focus of our worship. I like what uh, A.W. Tozer uh, once said. He said, worship is to feel in your heart and express in some appropriate manner a humbling but delightful sense of admiring awe and astonished wonder and overpowering love in the presence of that most ancient mystery and majesty which philosophers call the first cause, but which we call our Father which art in heaven. We're continuing a story of when David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. Last week we spoke of the joy that he was leaping and dancing in his ephod. He was a man dancing in his underwear. <laughs> Much to the dismay of his wife, Michael, who uh, kind of um, chastised him for that. But he was a man who knew how to worship God. And he didn't care what people thought. He didn't care about his status as king. He was there to worship God. And he said, I'd be, I'll become even more undignified than this. And here we pick up the story, this time in First Chronicles. This is, um, this is recorded in quite a few books, actually. But here it is in First Chronicles, where the ark is put into place, and the worship of God begins. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, hold them in the air and say, Word of God. Let's go ahead and open up our Word of God to First Chronicles chapter 16. 4 through 12, 4 through 12, which says this, He appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord, to extol, thank, and praise the Lord, the God of Israel. They were to play lyres and harps. Asaph was to sound the cymbals. Benaiah and Jezreel, the priests, were to blow the trumpets regularly before the ark of the covenant of God. That day David first appointed Asaph and his associates to give praise to the Lord in this manner. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell 
of all his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he has pronounced. One historian writes, David presented a Thanksgiving hymn. The chronicler compiled excerpts from a well-known psalms to convey the meaning of David's hymn for the chronicler's community. Psalm 96, 105, 106. David called the righteous to worship, extolled the Lord's grace from the days of Abraham, and concluded by invoking all creation to worship the Creator. You see, he continues in, in verse 23, where he says this, Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. The Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory do his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. You see, when I was reading this, I was reading the intensity intrinsic within the act of worship as it was originally designed. And I wonder if we're missing out by half-heartedly singing a few songs. You know, a theology student interviewed me a, a while back, and, and he asked me a question I had to think about. He, he said, what one thing can your church do that would help them? After some thought, I replied, well, to experience the presence of God in their worship, something that, in fact. And what, what I mean by that is is... is that this limited idea of worship that many in, in, in the West have, which believes it's only music, and, and there's so much more to it than that. To chase after the heart of God, we must first begin in worship, and then beyond the songs, the, the, the music, there, there is this heart attitude, there is this intent, the, the, the motive, the encounter that cannot be limited to mere notes on a page. Worship... Worship transcends our, our limited understanding. It is the very sound of the divine, the imprint of the sacred on our plebeian existence, the touch of the infinite in our midst of the finite. What does it mean to truly seek after the heart of the very presence of God in worship? Well, it brings us to our question today. How do we chase after the very heart of God in worship? Well, number one, we got to celebrate God. 
We got to celebrate God. First Chronicles 16, 8 says this, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. First Chronicles 16, 5b uh, through 6, it says, they were to play lyres and harps, Asaph was to, to sound the cymbals, Benaiah and Jezreel. The, the priests were to blow the trumpets regularly before the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when we read this, we, we can just hear this loud sound rising up before God in celebration. This was no quiet chamber music. These were some of the loudest instruments you could use. The cymbals, the, the trumpets, the, there's the sounding before the, the presence of God. Worship. Worship should be a celebration. Celebrate God. Give praise to the Lord. First Chronicles continues, uh, 16 verse 28, it says, Ascribe to the Lord all you families of the nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory to his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Now one commentary notes the, the grandeur and unusual comprehensiveness of the adoration and the homage were here proclaimed as, as to be offered to the omnipotent ruler of the nation should be well pondered. Our eye and ear may have become too familiar with it. But when put into relief, into a little put a little into relief and referred to in its original time of day, it is fit to be ranked among the strongest moral evidences of inspiration in the word and in the speaker. Worship. It's a celebration of the omnipotent ruler of the nations. Celebrate. Celebrate God. Do we remember to celebrate God in our worship? Do we understand that aspect of worship in our hearts and worship is to be, in a sense, a loud celebration complete with cymbals and, and trumpets and, and shafars? <laughs> Something as, as loud as a shafar was, was an instrument used in worship. Does our, our worship celebrate him? Or is it more of a mourning? During a seminary for research purposes i spent some time as a, a guest in a benedictine monastery they had a five services a day and each one seemed like a bit like a funeral chanting was beautiful but nothing i would remotely reference as a celebration and yet the hebrew people were more were, were people who knew how to celebrate their holidays, they were feasts. They worshipped with music and, and dancing. Even their songs today seem lively and upbeat as compared to ours. I went to Israel a number of years ago and we were uh, with a Messianic Jewish person. This is a, uh, a Jewish person that came to the Lord and believes in Jesus. But all the, all the Jewish dances, these things were, were beautiful and, 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 and lively and, and celebratory. Have we forgotten how to celebrate? You know, Jesus' first miracle, it was at, at a wedding party in Cana. I was there a couple of years ago, and I stood at the very spot where that miracle happened. Can you, can you picture a Jesus who, who celebrated? Can you picture a Jesus who, who celebrated? I remember seeing a, a Hollywood movie rendition of the gospel made in a, 
1965, and the, the Jesus in it just seemed so lifeless, so serious. Pretty sure he was like a, a stage actor, not a not a movie actor. There was no joy in his eyes, more, almost robotic in his performance. And as a child, I thought that's what Jesus was like. I thought he, he couldn't relate with humor or laughter or fun. I was taught a funless, lifeless Jesus. I wonder how many people still see Jesus that way. Later I saw a, a movie rendition of Jesus where he was completely different. He was happy. He was laughing. You could see love and joy in his eyes and he seemed to be more human, a little less uptight. I struggled for a while trying to figure out which, from Scripture which portrayal of Jesus was the real Jesus. And after reading Scripture and spending some time with him, I can see the aspects of both. He had a serious mission, but he was not without emotion. He was Jesus of the deep love for people, powerful emotions. He was fully man and fully God, which means he experienced laughter and joy. He knew how to celebrate. He was a Jesus who wouldn't want his people to be emotionless robots, but people who love and celebrate and experience laughter and joy. We must celebrate him because he is a God that deserves to be celebrated, and we got to do better. The Hebrew people knew how to celebrate. Jesus knew how to celebrate. We cannot be worshipers of God without raising the roof and making some noise every so often. How did we chase after the heart of God and worship? First, we got to celebrate God. And second, we need to sing with rejoicing. Sing with rejoicing. First Chronicles 16, 9 through 11. It says, sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. One theologian writes, they were to offer to approach that purest form of worship, which consists of adoring praise. One might imagine with what zest they would have accepted, with what fervor they would have added lip and instrument of music to it. I can see it. These were a people who rejoiced in God. It wasn't a funeral. It was a time of rejoicing. God is here. He brought us out of oppression of the Egyptians. He brought us out of the wilderness and into the promised land. This is a time of rejoicing. We are saved. We have our way lit before us by a God of the universe who calls us his children. We are a friend of Jesus. We are sons and daughters of the King. We have been saved by grace through faith. We have had our sins forgiven. Our chains have been broken. We have a God who has great and wonderful plans for our life. We have a God who will be there. A God who cares for us. A God who has prepared a place for us in paradise. Just think about that paradise. Earlier this year, I, I got an opportunity to go to Maui. Last year, I guess. I've slept on a hammock. I've suspended between two palm trees with the sound of the waves crashing melodi melodically in the background. I've, I have an idea what paradise is on this earth, but that all pales in comparison to God's paradise where he has prepared a place for us. We have a reason to rejoice. 
you know, going on a, a trip to Hawaii or a cruise to the Bahamas or some sort of tropical destination, it's often a cause for celebration, isn't it? Cause to rejoice. Why? Because it's generally considered paradise on earth. How much more should we rejoice in the fact that God has prepared a place for us in paradise? It's what he called it, right? When Jesus was on the cross in Luke 23, 43, Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. <laughs> okay, if the Son of God calls a place paradise, you know it's going to be good, right? We have a reason to rejoice. Not only will we be with him in paradise, but we, we didn't have to go through the kind of death that Jesus did. You know, Philippians 4.4 4 said, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. First Chronicles 16.23 Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. First Chronicles 16.31 let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad, and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Rejoice. Rejoice. Sing it out loud. Sing it loud in the car on the commute to work. Sing with rejoicing at home during your quiet time. Sing with rejoicing in your, your home groups, your, 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 your Sunday school. Sing with rejoicing in your Sunday worship. Sing with rejoicing, because we have a reason. To rejoice. Amen? Amen. How do we chase after the heart of God and worship? First, we celebrate God. Second, we, we sing with rejoicing. And third, we, we testify to his goodness. We testify to his goodness. First Chronicles 16.12 says this, Remember the wonders that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. One Bible scholar uh, notes, he says, that the minds of the people were to be refreshed in this service and their very psalm of praise being reminded or told so far as the youngest of them might be concerned of God's marvelous and merciful deeds for their forefathers of many, many a generation. First Chronicles 16.8 Make known among the nations what he has done. First Chronicles 16.9 Tell of his wonderful acts. First Chronicles 16.24 Declare the glory among the nations as marvelous deeds among all peoples. There's, there's something about sharing a testimony of God's goodness that is inextricably linked to the true worship of God. We need to testify of his goodness. We need to testify of his wonderful acts. We need to testify of what he has done in our lives. Before, you see, before we do our, our prayer requests in our various ministries throughout the week, whether whether that's your Sunday school or your Zoom meetings or your, or your Thursday night Bible study or youth group or whatever it is, we must not forget to include our praise reports, right? Because church, if we if we focus only on what we need and not what we have been blessed with, then we become victims instead of victors. God has blessed each of us in this room today. My friends, if you took a breath of air this morning, God has blessed you. So much of dissatisfaction of life is based on a state of mind. When we focus on what we do not have rather than what we do have, it changes how we see our lives. When we fail to thank God for our blessings, we become ungrateful children. And man, nothing gets under my skin like ungrateful children. Worship rightly should include a time when we testify to the wonders God has done in our lives. 
Why is that important? Well, because people forget. Don't they? People forget. The Hebrews were delivered from slavery under the thumb of Pharaoh, and not long after they witnessed plagues and fire come down upon their enemies, not long after they saw the Red Sea opened and their complete freedom from oppression and manna from heaven feed their people, not long after that they started complaining to Moses that they didn't like the manna, that God had abandoned them to die in the desert. Church, we need testimonies to remind ourselves and each other that God is doing amazing things in our midst. Testify to his goodness. Make that part of every morning. By the way, that's why I have those newsletters out there. A lot of times we forget what God's doing, so I throw it on a newsletter so we can be reminded God's at work here at East Claremont. Testify to his goodness. Make that a part of every morning. Write those testimonies down on a paper. Hang them up in your bathroom mirror so you can see them when you see Wake up every morning. Be reminded of what God has done. And then you'll begin to find that your day, your attitude, your whole demeanor will change for the better. How do we chase after the heart of God and worship? Well, first we, we celebrate God. Second, we sing with rejoicing. And third, we, we testify to his goodness. Our point of action today is this. We can reclaim our lives, our family our city, and even our nation for God. But first, it must start with the right heart in worship of our God. At any time we come to worship, remember it is not a funeral. It is a celebration filled with rejoicing and testimony of His goodness. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. Thank you for joining us at the Positive Pastor Podcast, reminding you today and every day to stay positive because God, well, God is in control. See you next week.